All right, hello everyone. Welcome to the Nilsen Show. Uh, this time I'm going to try and talk to you about TikTok. Now, I hope most people have understood for a long time that all these social media places are you're basically giving them your information and identity for free. Now, everybody, I think, for the most part, probably thinks that all these apps are completely innocent. But you got to think about it this way. All, all the stuff that you essentially download to the Internet on these apps is public for the most part. Or it's being stored either at Facebook or TikTok or Instagram, all this stuff. All of these places are storing all of your posts. And depending on whether it's uh, private or public, I guess, for the world to see, um, I would suggest just making sure you know what you're posting, I guess. Uh, double and triple think about it before you hit that uh, post button. So anyways, with this episode, I want to read you an article about TikTok, essentially. Um, I did hear Joe Rogan had a, a podcast a while back that was, he was reading the agreement terms. Now that's a problem with all these places, you agree to all these terms. Well, you agree to it without reading the terms, let's put it that way. Who, nobody sits down and actually reads, well, I shouldn't say nobody, some people do majority of the people don't read those. I'm just as guilty with it as well. But he's reading off all the stuff that the terms of service. And it was pretty mind-blowing. And there's been some other people that have been doing some digging into it. And I mean, this has been with TikTok specifically because of its underlying, not the app itself, it's the other things it downloads that you agree to to download and give access to on your phone to the app. I don't know if you've seen that before. You download an app and it says it needs access to your camera. It needs access to your video. It needs access to this or that and whatever. TikTok essentially puts this other software. They've been they've been reverse engineering the TikTok app for some time. And that was what the big thing was when they wanted to, when TikTok wanted to launch here on American platforms. Now, supposedly, it's not supposed to be able to do what some people claimed it did. But there's ways around our laws here in America with offshore companies that are third party to the CCP, or the Chinese Communist Party, however you want to look at that. But anyways, this is an article here from the Epic Times. Beijing will know more about you than you do. And the thing is, I don't think a lot of people really understand. So it's a compile, you compile all this data of things you like, Things you post, things you dislike. I mean, it essentially, if you look at your profile from start to finish of everything you've posted, liked, disliked, commented on, whatever, 
you could compile a pretty good, I, I don't know what you'd want to categorize it as, but they can, you can basically tell somebody's personality, what things you like, what things you don't like. I mean, you can break it down by the numbers, essentially. So anyways, let me get back to this article. When people think of a data breach, their natural reaction is to worry about losing information such as passwords. However, Jason Miller, founder of the social media app Getter, says that much more is at risk. What's it about? Uh, what's what it's? Well, I'm hard time reading already. <laughs> what it's about is they're going to know more about your mental makeup than you do, and that's scary. He told Epic Times on October first. Apps backed by the Chinese state, such as TikTok, which is targeting the prized Gen Z and Alpha cohorts, aren't just collecting data from their users, but also giving Beijing a complete understanding of the mental state of the users who will be our next generation of leaders, according to Miller. The former Trump administration advisor was in Sydney for CPAC Australia, the conservative political Action Conference. He said China-based companies and by default the ruling Chinese Communist Party now have access to all user information, including credit card details and passwords from apps such as TikTok, and at the same time will be conducting psychographic analysis of an entire generation of people. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, so let's say Mola's daughter's 13 and they start tracking her when she starts an account. A decade later, she's going through college. They then have a decade of psychographic analysis data on someone they know, Miller said. He said this data will give the CP CCP insight into what younger generations in other countries think about issues such as Taiwan or when the next virus gets launched. They will know what's going to move public opinion in very short order, Miller said. Fast forward another 10 or 20 years and say my daughter runs for office. Imagine the manipulative ability for them to have the psychographic analysis of an entire generation of political leaders and voters, not just in the United States, but around the world. They will know if you're going to like, swipe up, left or right, and what content you will react to before even you do. And think of how they're going to use that to manipulate other governments, people in other countries, and they're just getting started. China's big tech and the CCP's ambitions. Questions have long lingered over how China's state-backed technology companies use the data they collect. Some of the most well-known tech brands in the world are based in China, including TikTok, uh, which is ByteDance, Huawei, Hikvision, H-I-K, not the other Hikvision we know around here, WeChat, uh, owned by Tencent, and the world's largest drone maker, DJI. <coughs> Dang it. Don't dry here. Sorry about that again. China-based companies are subject to a bevy of laws under the CCP that compel cooperation upon demand by the regime. Does that sound like uh, something stupid that we're doing here with our public-private partnerships? Hmm. Notably, the 2017 National Intelligence Law forces China-based companies to share data with the CCP if ordered to do so. And its military civil fusion doctrine means that technologies developed in the civilian sector can be repurposed for the regime's People's Liberation Army. This approach 
along with technology theft from Western institutions, has helped China make leaps and bounds in several cutting-edge fields, including artificial intelligence and quantum computing. In response, Arthur Herman, a senior fellow at the conservative think tank Hudson Institute, has warned U.S. leaders to stay ahead of the curve to maintain the technological edge over Beijing. The fact that we have a lead doesn't necessarily mean we're going to win, Herman previously told the Epic Times. It's like the hare and the tortoise. We're like the hare. We've sprinted ahead, but the Chinese are moving ahead toward us slowly but surely. Australian Senator James Patterson has called on political leaders around the world to harness the strengths of big tech companies in Silicon Valley that have to operate under the laws of the United States. Quote, despite our many legitimate frustrations with our own tech titans, we do have to choose ourselves whether we want them to prevail in their own competition with their counterparts in authoritarian countries, Patterson said, because it will either be Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Amazon who set the international rules of the road when it comes to technology, or it will be Tencent, ByteDance, Huawei, and HikVision. I guess that's HikVision, H-I-K Vision. <laughs> Maybe it's just the redneck in me that reads it that way. I don't know. But anyways, that's the social dilemma. If you haven't watched that show, that's exactly the problem with our own tech companies and their apps are doing. Because we, the metaverse, I mean, if that becomes a reality, Mark Zuckerberg and his metaverse, um, we'll basically be turning into a bunch of zombies and realistically be living in the matrix. Because, I mean, how many people right now to this day are glued to their phones all the time? I mean, you see younger kids already right now that will be sitting right next to each other, texting each other versus having a face-to-face look at each other and speak to each other. It's remarkable, realistically. But that's just, you know, part of our problems we're having right now with tech in general is they're building databases of our personalities, essentially, and or scathing things that you might have seen, done, posted, whatever. So especially if you have kids... Keep them off of TikTok. I know everybody says, oh, it's just so cute. You know, all these people doing their stupid dances, the music and whatever. It's just, it's so harmless. That is not the point. The bigger point is, especially with TikTok, is the terms of service you agree to, it will log keystrokes. I mean, it, it, it opens up a whole lot of other stuff. And like I say, nobody reads the terms of service when you download an app and takes an hour to read even part of it. You just hit OK. You're like, I don't got time for this. I don't got time to sit there and read that. They're legit, right? And I think that's where we give them too much credit. <laughs> but hey, you know what? That's that's just what we do these days. You know, we're coming into this technological age that everything is going to be through technology whether we want it to or not i mean not everything because i mean as far as i'm concerned we still need farmers out there growing the food running the tractors feeding the cows milking the cows all that stuff that create our food but 
the generations are leaning harder and harder into technology and computers and phones, especially. And now with the augmented reality and putting on some goggles and go off into your mind can be tricked really easy. And a lot of people don't don't even think of it that way. But you've seen the videos as well that somebody puts those goggles on and they're, you know, their brain is immersed like you're in that scene of whatever it is you're watching. And then something will catch their eye and they'll like flinch and fall over because it looks like it's right there, even though it's just come, you know, it's just the input your brain is getting from these goggles. (laughs) And it, it tricks your brain. Uh, You know, a more recent movie is Ready Player One. And I can totally see that being a future. Maybe not living in containers, cities, or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. But I could totally see a good portion of the population living that way. Just living in a video game. And hating going outside and dealing with the real world. <laughs> that's what I, that's, that's part of the reality I see coming this way with all of this. But like I say, this is the security breaches in general that come with TikTok. And that's, I've never had it, never will have it. And uh, I don't know really how to tell people to just quit using it for the most part. And even if you do delete it, does it take off all the stuff that it's probably downloaded secretively back into the back of your phone somewhere? I don't know. I don't know. Really don't know that much about it other than the people that have really looked into it. Don't have anything good to say about it as far as the the backdoor stuff that it does. So anyways, we're going to take a break right there before we come back. Uh, here are more with the Nielsen Show. This episode of American Thought Leaders. It is a disaster waiting to happen because TikTok, though the company denies it, is fundamentally obligated to follow the laws that were created by the Chinese Communist Party. Today I sit down with Jeffrey Kane, an award-winning journalist, technologist, and author of The Perfect Police State, an undercover odyssey into China's terrifying surveillance dystopia of the future. Everybody was constantly being watched by an artificial intelligence system, which was called the IJOP. Kane recently testified before the U.S. Senate about TikTok and why he believes it's a unique national security threat. This is an example of censorship. Not only are we discriminating against the poor and and people who don't look super attractive, but it was being used to tow the party line to suppress news about human rights abuses in China. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelly. Jeffrey Kane, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you for having me, Jan. Jeffrey, I've wanted to have you on the show ever since you put out The Perfect Police State, which is an absolutely amazing book. And we'll definitely talk about this. Before we go there, though, you just recently were in the Senate giving testimony about social media and national security issues, specifically around TikTok and how it 
functions in the US and frankly around the world. So tell me, what did you find? Oh, so much. The, the problem with TikTok is that it is a national security threat to the United States and to countries outside of China. It is a disaster waiting to happen because TikTok, though the company denies it, is fundamentally obligated to follow the laws of China, uh, the laws that were created by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, so here's how TikTok works. It is, it's an app that uh, it's extremely popular among Generation Z users. It's sort of like the next wave of uh, the next Facebook, the next wave of social media. And anyone can go on there and create a short uh, 12 or 15 second clip of them dancing to music or you know showing their cat, or you can load up celebrities and see what, what they're up to. The app itself seems quite harmless. There's nothing about it on first glance that would look particularly nefarious or evil. Um, but beneath the surface, there is a lot going on here. So uh, TikTok, it was originally created by ByteDance, which was a Chinese company uh, based in Beijing. Uh, it had been um, created by uh, one of the major figures who, who was deeply involved in the world of Chinese artificial intelligence technology. Uh, it, it received enormous amounts of funding from a major uh, Silicon Valley uh, investment firm, so, so Sequoia Capital, which was a company that was trying to expand in China. And it wasn't until about five years ago, six years ago, um, that TikTok was created by this company, ByteDance, through an expansion into the American market. They had acquired uh, a local company, and uh, so a, a fellow Chinese company that was developing a music app that was getting popular in America called Musical.ly. And uh, ByteDance decided to acquire this and used it to create what we now know as TikTok. Now, here's the first big red flag, and there are many red flags, but the, the biggest red flag upon this acquisition is that TikTok did not notify the U.S. government about the acquisition. There is a body called uh, CFIUS, which is the, the Council on Foreign Investment in the United States. This is the body that is charged with reviewing uh, all sorts of uh, you know, Chinese investments in America, not just Chinese, but uh, foreign investments in America that might pose some kind of national security risk. Um, so CFIUS has reviewed investments in semiconductors, in uh, surveillance cameras, um, you know, it, military weaponry or the components of weaponry, anything that could potentially pose a risk to the well-being of Americans, to American safety has to go through a review by CFIUS. Now, uh, TikTok, upon entering Amer America, uh, you know, it, it had these grand plans to uh, use data. So, so TikTok is essentially a data scooping machine. It's, it's getting your um, you know, your face, your voice, uh, it's, it's getting your behavior, your movements, you know, it's learning, it, it, like the, the algorithms in TikTok, and TikTok has not publicly said much about its algorithms, but um, like all social media platforms, these systems are uh, extremely profitable because they gather so much data and they use that data to sell ads to consumers. Now, the problem, the first problem here is that TikTok entered the American market trying to appeal to Gen Z, to the next generation, to the celebrities, you know, trying to build up the cat videos and the dancing videos. And this was, uh, you know, I, I believe that this was a kind of mask um, that covered up, you know, some of the, the darker realities going on underneath the surface. And that the big problem was, well, you know, this is a company that it, it, it was based in China. 
uh, it, it was a company that is that will be responsive to Chinese law under requests, and yet they're expanding in this massive way in America, and there wasn't even a CFIUS review at the beginning. Uh, that should sound alarm bells. You know, why did TikTok decide not to do that review? And it's as if they kind of snuck into the market and placed their software in the hands of the next generation. Let me just jump in right here, okay? The fact that they didn't disclose this for review at CFIUS, doesn't that somehow create an opportunity to do a CFIUS review? Or like, what, what is the status of this right now? The, the Trump administration back in 2020 uh, initiated a CFIUS review. Donald Trump wanted to get TikTok banned. And uh, there, so, so TikTok challenged this review in court, challenged some of the decisions. The goal was going to be to probably sell TikTok to Oracle. It, this would be a forced sale. Uh, Oracle was was lining up as the main buyer. Um, this sale never went into force, and the Biden administration stepped in later. Uh, didn't completely kill the review, but but uh, for for so for the last year, TikTok has been under a CFIUS, a CFIUS review, but they have been very quiet about it. It's not clear what's going to come of it, but you know there are conversations happening between TikTok and Oracle, the American company. Uh, I can't say for sure now whether it's going to be sold to Oracle or sold to an American company, but there will be, according to TikTok, some kind of agreement with the U.S. government to, um, you know, to ensure that this this kind of data sharing in, in China won't be possible. That's their claim. I don't totally believe it, but we'll get into that. So there's two areas that I see are hugely problematic, maybe already be obvious to our viewers. Okay, number one is of course like every conceivable data point that this app in these you know highly sophisticated computers that we call phones have is being gathered by this app. That's number one, and this and this company is subservient to the CCP, and the CCP whatever advantage it can take, we know it will. So this is not a good recipe. That's one. The second part though, and uh, this I didn't see as much covered in your testimony is that they also decide what you see yes and and very non-transparently right and also in the realm of this what we call ephemeral experiences so another in, in other words if there isn't someone actually watching what is being served up to people and somehow tabulating it it's gone forever and we won't know what our kid or uh, you know our uh a uh, person working in the national security establishment is seeing as they're using it. So these are these are the two areas that jump to mind for me. Oh yes, I agree completely. One of the big problems is that uh, the TikTok algorithm does decide what you see. Uh, the, so these these algorithms with with all social media groups are uh, very opaque. You know, these are these are seen as protected intellectual property. They don't want that information to leak because they say it'll damage their business. But TikTok uh, executives have admitted in the past that the the algorithm that, that TikTok has been used to suppress um, bad news coming out of China. So they said uh, at, at one point, uh, there was a, a TikTok executive who testified before the British parliament saying that news about the Uyghurs in Western China in, in the region called Xinjiang, um, that news was being suppressed at one point. There are other examples. There was a leaked, uh, a, a, a kind of like a moderation guideline at one point. This was leaked uh, back, in, back in 2019. And it showed the um, TikTok or By ByteDance instructing the global TikTok moderators, including in America, to uh, you know, look around for material that might you know look bad. So you know, anything that shows poverty, like showing ugly people, 
uh, poverty, slums, you know, poor people. It literally was saying these kinds of things. And, and the moderation guidelines said you need to suppress this kind of material. We only want to see beautiful people on here who, who are happy and, and nice and, and, you know, great to look at and they're attractive and so forth. Um, you know, th this is an example of censorship and abusive censorship um, because, you know, not only are we discriminating against you know, the, the poor and, and people who don't look super attractive, but it, this is also being used, it was being used to tow the party line, to suppress news about Uyghurs, to suppress news about human rights abuses in China. So so let's jump to this other part that you've been so focused on, which is sort of the, the, the data gathering and what sort of exposure that creates. So give me the picture. So here's the problem. The Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping, has repeatedly said uh, that it wants to become a global leader in artificial intelligence, that AI is going to be a major pillar of Chinese military power, its surveillance power. Um, Xi Jinping has made it clear that he's trying to build this new society that will be driven by, by this total surveillance state, that we know everything that's going on within China, potentially outside of China too. This is where the TikTok and the ByteDance connection becomes extremely problematic because under Chinese law and under the Chinese Communist Party, you know, any any executive, you know, whether you're at TikTok, the American version, you know, of the company, of the app, or you're at ByteDance in China, this is the this is a Douyin, which is the, the Chinese version of the app. You know, there's not going to be a separate line between those two. The Chinese Communist Party will see TikTok as fundamentally a Chinese company and one that needs to report to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, there is, so the, the national intelligence law of China, there's also the national security law. These are some very terrifying and totalitarian laws that require people in China to partake in intelligence operations upon request. So let's say, you know, hypothetically, and this might've happened, we, we can't say for sure because it would be all secret, but hypothetically, uh, let's say the the Ministry of State Security uh, or the Ministry of Public Security, two very powerful bodies in China, uh, issue a demand to Chinese employees uh, of TikTok who are in, based in China to hand over the data of certain people. These could be Hong Kong dissidents. These could be uh, American military commanders. Uh, you know, it could be anybody who might be uh, of an interesting nature to the Chinese Communist Party. Those executives are required by Chinese law to hand over the data. It doesn't matter if TikTok says, and this is how TikTok responds, they always say, we are an American company, we're separate, we're not based, you know, we're, we're based all over the world, we're not the same as the Chinese company ByteDance. But they also admit that they have employees in China, and these employees, as we know, are subject to the harsh and brutal realities of the Chinese Communist Party. So tell me a little bit about the, is it called the master admin? Yes. So this was a part of audio files that were leaked in BuzzFeed, the news website. There were 20 audio files uh, that were taken from various meetings between uh, ByteDance and TikTok uh, developers, software developers. They were just talking about the, the problems inherent in having uh, you know, Chinese executives who are overseeing them. They, they, and in one of in one of these audio recordings, uh, one of the executives uh, was talking about this this master admin who is an unnamed figure. We're not sure who this person is, but um, said that this person is somebody in Beijing who has access to all TikTok data, all global data. 
Um, this, you know, TikTok denies that this is true. They say that there is no master admin. There's nobody with this title, but it's clearly on the audio recording. These are internal meetings and somebody is talking about a master admin. That's very strong evidence right there. And, uh, you know, it's I like if, if you go back through TikTok's testimony um, before the Senate, before Congress, uh, they've always testified that China does not have, you know, China, the Chinese company does not have access to American data, that there's a wall between them. This evidence right here contradicts what they've been telling us under oath. You know, this, this is um, truly devastating for them because if they are found to be, you know, lying under oath or withholding information under oath, yeah, that's uh, that could put TikTok in big legal trouble. There have been a number of of, of executives who have testified. We'll see uh, exactly what's going to happen in the future. But the evidence that com that keeps coming out contradicts what they say under oath in front of American senators. So this revelation about the master ad admin is the big one. There were also audio files on there which showed uh, you you could hear people talking about how they had to go through Chinese executives and Chinese developers in China to figure out how the data of Americans was being uh, observed and used. Uh, I mean, we could go on and on about this, but that BuzzFeed report was particularly devastating. Uh, TikTok has come out in full blast trying to deny that this is the case, but the audio files are there. One thing we know about AI and the development of AI is that you basically want to have maximum data to feed into AI to basically teach it to have it to, to to have it to function. This is what I'm seeing from what you're telling me. You know, we have I think what is it, 80 million American users for TikTok. That's a pretty large data set. If and you know this sort of unlimited 24/7 data coming from the phone, uh, because of course these apps are collecting not just you know when they're on in many cases. Um, and we have the Chinese Communist Party, which is deeply interested in developing AI. You might think that that there might be some kind of prerogative to use that information on their side, and given how they function. Oh, without a doubt, there is a huge prerogative uh, under the Chinese Communist Party to do whatever it can to get that data. The Chinese Communist Party, we all know, is a ruthless organization. It is uh, vicious and authoritarian. They've put 1.8 million people in concentration camps in Western China, which is the biggest internment of a minority since the Holocaust. Um, I mean, we're talking about very serious crimes against, human against humanity and genocide here. We know that the Communist Party, you know, they're not going to care if there is a, a you know, a, a small legal wall that separates the Chinese ByteDance company from the American TikTok company. Um, you know, one other piece of evidence to look at here is, well, TikTok even says in its own privacy policy, if you read it carefully, it says we can share data with our corporate group. And that's in quotes. That's literally what it says. So TikTok was pressed about this in a previous congressional hearing. The senator asked them three times, what is the definition of our corporate group? Does this include ByteDance in China? And after dodging the question repeatedly, finally TikTok admitted that yes, our corporate group includes ByteDance, which means that they, you know, according to their own policies, they might actually share the data of people around the world with the Chinese arm. We do hold that to a high standard and we have access control. Mr. Beckman, we're gonna try a third time because the words that came out of your mouth have no relation to the question you were asked. Your privacy policy 
says you will share information with your corporate group. I'm asking a very simple question. Is ByteDance, your parent company, headquartered in Beijing, part of your corporate group? Yes or no, as you use the term in your privacy policy. Senator, um, I, I think it's important that I address the broader point in, in, your, in your statement. So are you willing to answer the question, yes or no? It is a yes or no question. Are they part of your corporate group or not? Yes, Senator, it is. Yeah, it's all in the fine print, isn't it? It's absolutely in the fine print, and that has been TikTok's strategy. Uh, when they come under criticism, when they are under the microscope, their strategy has been to deflect, to distract, to confuse people, and to use fine, fine print and little technical, you know, sleight of hands to try to distract people from the reality and the truth. Um, even in my testimony, a, a TikTok public relations officer responded on Twitter, uh, pointed out all these little kind of technicalities like, well, technically, ByteDance is not uh, in, in China. The parent company, ByteDance, is technically in the Cayman Islands, you know, where we're technically not reporting to a Chinese company. But that's absolutely missing the point. That's just taking my testimony out of context, trying to smear me and discredit me with these little technicalities. It doesn't address the, the underlying reality that TikTok reports to the Cayman Islands company. The Cayman Islands shell company also owns ByteDance, the Chinese company. They're all a part of the same corporate group. There's no fundamental separation between them. What is the relationship between these large companies like ByteDance and of course TikTok with the Chinese Communist Party? So in China, there's no separation of private business and the public government like what we have in the United States. Here, you know, Google does not have to report to the American government. Google, you know, Tesla does not report to the White House. They might have their relationships, they might have their lobbying and so forth, but uh, you know, the, the, the White House can cannot call Apple and tell them what to do and what not to do. Apple even built in uh, that a feature that prevented the FBI for a long time from breaking into phones and gathering data. Um, so there's a clear separation between government and private business, which is quite healthy, I would say. In China, it is not the case at all. Um, that, that is absolutely a, a line that does not exist. A company might look like it's private on paper. It might have all the legal fixtures in place that give the impression that ByteDance or Alibaba is a separate entity from the government. But the Chinese system is so different from America. You know, in America, we have separation of powers. We have, uh, you know, three branches of government. In, in China, it's ruled by the party. It, it's simply that there is the Communist Party. There's one single party that runs everything. And all laws are underneath the party. All, uh, you know, the judicial system is underneath the party. It's not rule of law. It's ruled by the party. And that is why the Chinese Communist Party is just so threatening and forceful when it comes to uh, you know, forcing these companies to, to follow its dictates. We've seen in recent years uh, various cases of, of the Chinese Communist Party cracking down on, on tech companies. So Jack Ma, the head of Alibaba, had disappeared for quite some time. Um, you know, others were uh, being sentenced and arrested. There was a lot of action in this area because the Chinese Communist Party did not want companies going outside of its dictates. They wanted to remind private companies that you ultimately work for us. Yeah, and that, that, that was actually a very interesting moment. I mean, sort of the, the, one of the analyses I heard was, well, 
You got a little bit too independent there, Jack, right? That whole crackdown, it came from the, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party was just concerned about the wealth being amassed by these private uh, technology tycoons. Um, these tycoons were, you know, amassing their own followings in China. They were per perhaps even rivaling the Chinese Communist Party in many ways, but ultimately the Chinese Communist Party is the one in charge and they want to have access to that AI, to that data. They want to have access to those private technologies being developed by ByteDance and, and WeChat and Alibaba and so forth. So if they do get too far away from the party core, the party core, which is Xi Jinping and the Politburo, they will always reach out and try to bring them back in, back into the, to the center, back into the fold. So, you know, there's people that believe that TikTok should be banned. It almost was, as we mentioned earlier. And then the others that say, hey, you know, it's a free market. That's un unfair, unreasonable to do. It'll have other negative downstream consequences. Where do you stand on this? My stance is that uh, TikTok should at minimum be sold to an American company. We cannot have major uh, Communist Party connected companies in China uh, running massive social media platforms in America. It is it's it's the Trojan horse. It's the mole. It's it's just it's everything that you do not want in a modern uh, democracy. Um, it's also a new problem because we now live in this age of smartphones and software. You know, this kind of problem did not exist in the past in the Cold War. We were more concerned uh, about the, the hardware aspect of it. So the missiles being pointed at each other and, and the potential for nuclear war, you know, that still does it's still a possibility. It hasn't gone away, but there's this added element now of the way that we use software and social media and the way that it exposes us to, you know, threats to, um, to major foreign threats from hostile powers who are looking to undermine us from the inside. Well, it's interesting that you say that. So I, I just want to briefly mention the work of uh, Dr. Robert Epstein who uh, you know, basically has looked at how certain big tech companies, multiple different ones, are able to influence public opinion, in many cases without the people realizing themselves that they're being influenced. So some of the work that he's done shown that you can, for example, for someone that's undecided, this isn't for people that already know exactly what they want to do, you can shift how someone will vote right, without them even being aware that they've been shifted by doing, you know, basically extensive double blind sort of tests on how people's preferences change and so forth. This work to me is, you know, incredibly disturbing. For, and, and by the way, he also shows that it has been done by American companies in different contexts. One of the most, and I'll mention this, one of the most sort of I guess stark examples, and I don't think the company even realized at the time that it was doing something like this, but uh, Facebook at one point basically sent out, uh, hey, come out and vote, basically, to the Hispanic community, right? And so, and it worked, it increased the voting, and actually publicized this thing, look, we've been really effective at doing this. Of course, the reality is that you can, some, you know, a, a political actor, someone wants to act in a political way, might say, oh, look, this group in particular votes a particular way, let's get them to come out because we want a particular political outcome. So now let's, let's, let's forget about America for a second this reality of this kind of uh, power, which is all in these ephemeral experiences where people would get you know, things projected to them, no one will ever know that they saw it except that person, is now potentially in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Now that to me 
is a wild threat. It is absolutely wild. It's a threat that we haven't taken seriously enough until now. I do think that we as Americans, when we're dealing with hostile foreign powers, we tend to be naive. And that's because we forget that, you know, being being an American and growing up in New York or Chicago, you know, life for you is is quite different from um, life for somebody in, in Russia or China somewhere who 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 has always been underneath this authoritarian government and, you know, might not have the same outlook on life. It's just uh, you know, we, we just have to remember that, uh, you know, not all of not all of the world is a liberal democracy, that. There are different systems around the world and that we can't simply trust TikTok coming from this authoritarian uh, background within in, an authoritarian country to, um, you know, to simply automatically follow American laws as they are written. Uh, it's just not how the world works. It's not how the system works. And it's just it's something we need to be mindful of as we deal with the TikTok problem. There is this. All right, well, I think you kind of get the point of that. And that's just an interview on Epic Times as well. Uh, that was Jeffrey Kane. I'm sure you could probably find this interview other places as well. Or similar ones, probably, I'm guessing, on YouTube if you still use Google stuff. So anyways, going to take a break. Be right back. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Rex M. Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy. He helped shed light on China's cyber attacks on America, how it affects us in our daily lives, and what can be done to stop it. Let's dive in. Rex, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. Glad to be here. So recently, China's been in the headlines a lot, whether that's like, say, maybe a total war with China over Taiwan, but another big area is cyber. So we hear a lot about cyber attacks on America, especially, but give us a sense of how widespread this is, especially in terms of Americans. Okay, well, uh, these attacks that you're hearing about in the news are all tied to um, unrestricted hybrid warfare waged by China. And this goes back to the 1990s. And what unrestricted hybrid warfare is, it's warfare that targets everyone where there are no rules. This includes targeting children, teens, business leaders, members of the military, members of law enforcement, elected officials, even the president. And so how is China able to get into these institutions, say whether that's government or business or even personal? Um, they're able to um, get into these institutions uh, usually through um, insider attacks. Um, a lot of people wonder where cybersecurity attacks mostly occur, and about 90% of them are um, associated with insider attacks. This means that it usually comes from an employee, even a company leader in the, uh, even a leader in the company that could be leveraged, uh, as well as the attacks could come from the supply chain that supports the company or the organization or government agency, for example. And so how sophisticated or not are these attacks, for instance, some of the big ones we've read about in the news? Well, they're very sophisticated today. The, no longer are hacks coming in through traditional methods like 
telecommunication networks or even through email phishing. They still can attack through email phishing. They've advanced that to SMS texting, by the way, a, a text message can launch an attack as well. But mainly what we're, what we're seeing, nation state hackers from China, which are app groups or Russia, like uh, Fancy Bear, uh, Sandworm, and some of their groups, or Lazarus from North Korea, uh, we're seeing these groups you utilize the Android OS, Apple iOS, and Microsoft Windows 8, 10, and 11 OS to launch in a wide array of attacks on networks that include ransomware attacks, uh, DDoS attacks, and man-in-the-middle attacks. They can launch just about any attack, either through the operating system that supports a mobile device like a smartphone or a PC, um, and or uh, they can utilize apps. Google has removed over 300 of these types of apps and recently that could launch these types of attacks. Apple was compromised through their MDM uh, app, uh, their MDM security platform as well, where hackers got in through the security platform and they were able to spoof the platform. They were able to spoof the uh, end user to the platform to get authentication tokens to be able to get back into the, uh, the security platform. And Rex, earlier this year, you had an article titled Smartphone App Users Are Data Mined Even When Not Using the App. So what exactly <clears throat> is the information that's being gathered on individuals? Well, you have to look at an app um, as legal malware. And that's the best way you can describe apps today. An app, whether it's a social media app developed by ByteDance, such as TikTok or Facebook um, or Instagram, any of these apps are basically legal. They're basically legal malware that enable the developer to monitor, track, and data mine the end user for financial gain, 24 by 7, 365 days a year. A single intrusive app enables the um, uh, enables the developer to collect over 5,000 highly confidential data points associated with the end user's personal information, business information medical information, legal information, and employment information because the surveillance and data mining done by these uh, companies is indiscriminate, meaning that it's, they're not only collecting uh, consumer information, they're collecting every bit of information from the end user, including text messages, email, email attachments, calendar events, and so forth. A lot of these uh, app, uh, a lot of these uh, abilities come through uh, the app being able to, into, what an app will do is it will interlink with all of the hardware on the device and the sensors on the device, such as camera and microphone, as well as sensors such as the accelerometer. So they can do audio, video, and physical surveillance uh, on you 24 hours, 365 days a year while uh, collecting those 5,000 highly confidential data points on the end user. What they are doing is they package that and they monetize it but also, as we're seeing in the news, is that these tech companies are aligned with governments. So the, the information, uh, a lot of times, is ending up in the hands of the government. And Rex, in the beginning, you mentioned how this bigger cyber attack thing fits into China's hybrid or unrestricted warfare. So to yes. really defend against that, what can individuals do? Well, you know, again, you have to look at what's what type of apps you're using on your phone. First of all, countries like India have banned all of the intrusive apps from China. You can't get TikTok in India. Other countries have followed suit. Um, uh, the problem here in the United States is the US-China tech lobby 
I say really the US time, the US China tech lobby is a national security threat for these reasons. Um, the US is one of the few countries that allow companies from adversarial nations to lobby their lawmakers through powerful K Street law firms. So, you know, when, when that's happening, I'll give you an example. ByteDance hired former Trump advisor and ACG lobbyist, uh, David Urban, and they also hired ACG to lobby on their behalf. You remember a couple of years ago during the Trump administration, they were labeled a cybersecurity threat and a national security threat um, as well. Huawei was labeled a national security threat by the Obama administration and the Biden, I mean, the Obama administration and the Trump administration. Uh, and recently, Huawei hired Democrat strategist or former Democrat strategist, Tony Podesta. So they're hiring both Republicans and uh, Democrat uh, advisors and former uh, politicians or elected officials to do their lobbying for them. And they're paying them millions of dollars. Tony Podesta has made over a million million dollars from uh, Huawei. And not only has uh, ACG and David Urban made millions of dollars from ByteDance, uh, ByteDance hired David Urban as one of their executive senior VPs. So when you look at what's going on, on one, on one hand, the politicians are saying that China's a threat. Uh, on the other hand, they're taking money from Chinese companies through uh, lobbyists, uh, uh, K Street law firms and lobbyists. Uh, so Government's not going to protect you, and this is why companies need to implement um, enterprise top-down uh, cybersecurity, uh, privacy, and intelligence strategy, as well as individuals need to look at what's on their phone and start to analyze those apps. Um, I have a lot of this information up on my website, MySmartPrivacy, uh, that uh, people, they can go to at www.mysmartprivacy.com, uh, and uh, the, all my articles that I wrote for the Epic Times on these uh, subject matters are posted up there. A lot of the interviews that I've done with Epic Times TV's Crossroads and China Insider are up there as well, and there's a there's a wealth of information there for people to access, and there's no charge for it either. I'm, I'm a tech journalist as well, so I like to post my articles up on that website. Given the kind of two-faced messaging coming from government, then right, so on the one hand, they're saying China's the foe not to work with them, but then they're taking these secret million dollar deals. What is it gonna take then? Is it for individuals to make their voices heard for new laws to be implemented? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I uh, discussed this with uh, David Zhang on uh, uh, China Insider, and I went back in and I looked and I saw some of the comments in there and people asked what they could do. Well, I told them they should send a link to that interview, which was based on the U.S.-China uh, tech lobby. They should uh, take a link to that uh, interview and send that to their representative and ask their representative if they were elected to serve corporations on, uh, on uh, uh, corporations through K Street lobbyists and law firms, or were they elected to represent the individual constituent? So the constituents need to make their voices heard, and they need to arm themselves with as much information as possible, such as an interview such as this or the one that I did with China Insider, and send those interviews to these lawmakers and ask their lawmakers, why, why are they in Washington to serve the best interests of multinational companies, including those from Russia and China? Or are they in Washington to serve their constituents? It seems like when these uh, elected officials are appealing for our vote. They keep telling us how much good they're going to do for us, but then they go to office and uh, they become millionaires and their family members become millionaires. There's a lot of conflicts of interest going on in this uh, uh, matter. Uh, for, 
in the green energy industry, for instance, uh, Andre Hines, the stepson of John Kerry, represents a, a, a capital investment group um, or a venture capitalist group centered on green energy called Obvious. Uh, that's a conflict of interest because they stand to make billions of dollars on energy policies that his stepfather is influencing in the White House. Uh, we saw this with Hunter Biden in the Ukraine and also his uh, interests in China. And just recently, Pauli Pelosi, the son of Nancy Pelosi, traveled with her on her trip to Asia and met with companies. Uh, so God only knows what his investment firm is going to be investing in in the future and what side, what, how much inside information these family members are gaining uh, through their uh, uh, elected, uh, through their parents or their relatives who are elected officials. Rex, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. That was Rex M. Lee, Cybersecurity Advisor at MySpark Privacy. And joining us after the break, Greg Copley, President of the International Strategic Studies Association and author of The New Total War. He touches on the recent buzz over House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan and what that means for this November, both in terms of our midterm elections and Chinese leader Xi Jinping seeking an unprecedented third term. That's coming up in just a minute here on China in Focus. Well, so there you go. I think you guys get the point of what these apps do. Um, especially, I, I don't know how to say it any plainer, is when you download an app, read through what the terms of service are. I know that's hard to do because there's a million apps out there. But if you can, understand what you're downloading to your phone. Because it essentially is any more little tracking device that you carry everywhere with you so with that i'm going to end this episode and i want to thank everybody for joining me once again on the nelson show until next time mm -hmm.